0: <laughs> so, it's been a, a huge weekend in my family. Uh, first of all, I get to speak today, so that's really cool. Um, secondly, uh, Adelie, my oldest daughter, got her second black belt last night. I know, it's pretty amazing. Somebody with my genetics can be doing something that requires coordination. Yeah. So it's, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it's not completely determined by the father, apparently, so that's pretty cool. So very proud of her. And then, of course, today is Mother's Day, yes. which uh, is very exciting as well. So we got up this morning, uh, had some uh, special breakfast for Cynthia, and uh, opened some gifts. And this afternoon, we're going to go get to see uh, Captain America, So, yes. which is further evidence that my wife is a great mother. Yes. Because... She wants to see it, but I don't think that her desire to see it is remotely comparable to my desire to see it or that of my kids. So it's going to be a great Mother's Day. I'm excited about that. Uh, I thought I would share with you a little bit here the mothers that have most influenced me and my upbringing. I can say the mothers that have most influenced me, except there's no picture of Cynthia there, because that would not be something she would appreciate. So, These are the mothers that most influenced my upbringing. On the left is my grandma. That's my my father's mother. And uh, she's a pretty incredible woman. She will turn 91 in September. Yes. So the picture's a little bit dated. Uh, But she she turns 91 in September. She's from Western Oklahoma and grew up there during the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression. It's a very impressive woman. Uh, On the right is my other grandma. That's Granny Dean. It's my mom's mom and uh, she is from the Ozarks in Missouri her whole life and then in the bottom is my mother as a young woman yeah it was the 70s so (laughs) yeah I mean I feel like I have to say something about the picture right I have to say something to apologize for the, uh, the the clothing and the curtains and all but it was the 70s and at that point in time my mother was actually about Eight and a half months pregnant with me. So, yeah, at the time that picture was taken. So, I cut that part out because uh, when I was born, I weighed almost 11 pounds. And I was her first child. So, uh, yeah, I know, right? I should be like a professional basketball player or something. I don't know what happened. I thought I was going to be huge, but uh, it didn't work out that way. But these are the mothers who uh, most influenced me in my upbringing. So, you can blame them. Uh, if need be. But these are the women that I really look up to and appreciate, in addition to Cynthia, as the moms in my life. Now, for Mother's Day, I've been a Christian 22 and a half years. Yeah, thank you. It's good. It's a good thing. I know some of you are like, he doesn't even look that old. I don't know how that happened. That's amazing. And the teens are like, so what? He became a Christian when he was 40? <laughs> so. Uh, so i have been a Christian 22 and a half years now. So this is my 23rd Mother's Day sermon. Didn't grow up going to church at all. My 23rd Mother's Day sermon. And I was working on something this week. And I thought, you know, Mother's Day, we usually do one of two types of sermons. We usually either talk about characteristics of mothers that we appreciate and how we see those characteristics in God. Or we talk about great mothers in the Bible. Mary, Hannah, Elizabeth. And so I've been through 22 of these now. And I tried to do that and come up with something that was kind of fresh. And I struggled with it. And so it may have come across fresh to you, but I felt like I can't preach something I don't feel great about, right? And I started thinking about Mother's Day, and I was like, you know, I don't don't want to be a downer, but for, for a lot of us, Mother's Day is not as exciting and joyful and happy as it always is for others. I love Mother's Day. But I also have some very sad memories associated with Mother's Day my grandma on the, the right up there, Granny Dean, seven years ago, uh, we were living in Boston, and the Wednesday before Mother's Day, I thought, you know, I'm going to call Grandma. They I haven't talked to her in a while. We grew up in Texas. My grandmothers are Western Oklahoma and the Ozarks in Missouri, so we didn't see them a lot. But as I got older, I tried to really build a better relationship with them, just calling them frequently and, and uh, talking to them on the phone. I thought I haven't talked to her in a while, but Mother's Day is Sunday, I'll just wait till Sunday and call her. The next morning, she passed. The Thursday before Mother's Day, Saturday, day before Mother's Day, I was in Missouri at my grandmother's funeral. There are, well, I'm not going to count. I think 21, 21 grandkids on that side of the family. Uh, all of us are grown. And all except three, maybe four, all except four are men. And so we're at this little church in the Ozarks. And I have a very vivid memory of it because my family's, uh, uh, both sides actually, Scots Irish, uh, ethnically. And so Irish funerals, wailing, you know, loud, they're not somber, stoic occasions. And so we're at my grandmother's funeral, and my, my cousins are big guys, right? Of the, what, 17 guys, I think I'm the, there's two that are my size. Everyone else is over six foot easily. I've got one that's, uh, I think, 6'7. They're 6'4, six, 6'5, six, stocky. Again, I thought I was going to be a giant. I don't, I don't know what happened. But gigantic men, jeans, boots, you know, rings on their pockets from the, the cans of snuff. You know, rough guys, wailing, crying, bluegrass gospel music in the background. At the end of the service, we all walk by my grandma's coffin and kiss her. And then we go to the actual grave. And the six oldest of us are her pallbearers. And so we actually take her out of the hirsch and carry her to the grave and lower her into the grave. It's muddy, it's light rain. And again, all these guys are gigantic except me, right? So they're carrying the coffin and I'm like this, you know, trying to, trying to carry it. And so I have this memory in my mind. I love my grandma. She's a great woman. She's very impressive. Uh, there's one story uh, i just share real quickly about her. One of my, I think it was one of my, I can't remember if it was the first or second cousin. Again, Scots Irish, you know, there's I'm related to like a million people right there. And so one of my cousins came home from the Corps after basic training and was sitting on the, the couch watching TV, and Grandma called everybody into the kitchen for dinner, and he didn't come. So she walked out back, broke a switch off one of the bushes, and came in and was like, you may be a Marine, but when I say come to dinner, you will come to dinner. <laughs> you know, so, so she's a, you know, she, I love that. She's a great woman. So... Now you better understand me. So, but uh, I called my mom this morning and said, happy Mother's Day, how are you doing? She started crying. Because for the rest of my life, my mother is going to remember that her mother's funeral was the day before Mother's Day. And for a lot of people, today's a hard day. Because you've lost a mom, or a grandmother, or you're a mother who's lost a child, or who has never been able to have a child, Or you've had a child who had special needs who wasn't fully able to express everything that you wanted to hear on Mother's Day. And so there can be a lot of grief associated with Mother's Day. So I thought what I would do today is do something a little bit different and talk to that. I want to talk a little bit about the Psalms and the Psalms of Lament. So again, if you come back next week, not every week is like this, all right? So I just want to preface that. you come back next week, the sermon, I don't even know who's preaching, but it's almost definitely going to be happier. So I just wanted to say that. But I wanted to talk about this because I think that grief is something that to some level all of us can relate to. You think about the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms in the Bible. It's uh, the most number of chapters. It's not actually the longest book. That would be Jeremiah. But it's the most number of chapters of any book in the Bible. And of those 150, if you had to guess how many are laments, a lament is like a crying out in pain and agony and sadness and frustration. If you had to guess how many of the 150 were psalms of lament, what would you guess? More than half, A 100 roughly. Two-thirds of the psalms are somebody crying out to God in a time of grief or fear, or frustration, or hopelessness. Psalm 13, in verse 1. I'm going to read a few passages here. Psalm 13, 1. How long, O Lord, will you forgive me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 22, verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by men, despised by the people. Psalm 55, verses 4 through 7. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said... Oh, that I had wings of a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. Psalm 69, verses 2 and 3. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters, the floods... Engulf me. So Literally, I feel like I'm drowning. I am worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, looking for my God. He says, I'm so overwhelmed, I feel like I'm drowning. I have cried out till my throat hurts. My eyes have given up. Looking for help from God. Then a couple of verses here from Psalm 88. For my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near the grave. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? We read through the Psalms, and many of these are attributed to David, right? And we look at the Psalms, and you have have these Psalms of lament. Like I said, it's like two-thirds of the Psalms. And you see these godly men, men who were... God says David was a man after his own heart. You see David, chosen by God to be the ancestor of Jesus. Chosen by God to be the king of all Israel. And you see points in his life Where he is so discouraged, he is so down, he is so frustrated and overwhelmed that he says these things, that he cries out to God like this. Now the psalms of lament, there are psalms that are individual, which are the ones I feel like I relate more to, and one thing that's convicting as I was studying this out, there are actually a lot that are communal. They're about the, the, God's people. They're not just, God, why am I in this situation? Why has this happened to me? But these are expressions of why are we in this situation? Why are the people of God suffering like this? Why are the people of God being oppressed like this? And so I kind of listed some of these out here. But uh, I thought this was actually very convicting because I thought I just don't have enough prayers like this. I should have <laughs> prayers like this about God's people overall, about the church of Christ overall. And about this. So roughly two-thirds of the psalms are psalms of lament. And if you think back about this, a lot of the psalms historically were set to music and sung. And so the young Israelite, the young Hebrew kids would grow up learning the psalms, learning these, singing these. And I think it's just kind of something fundamental about human nature, about wanting to express our grief through music. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of the great musicians, a lot of great, a lot of, actually some entire genres of music almost are about expressing pain and grief, right? For example, I mean, what comes to mind? The blues. The blues, that, uh, literally, that is the whole genre, right? The whole genre is things are hard and I'm struggling, right? Uh, country music is a lot like that too, or at least old country music. Yeah, and More recently, it's about going down to the river and having a party. But historically, the country music I heard growing up was a lot more like this, right? Uh, a lot of, Honestly, a lot of rock and metal music is just expressing frustration and anger and, and sadness, right? It, yes, definitely. Yeah, I know. So when my wife asked me to turn down my music, I'm like, you know, you just... I'm getting in touch with my emotions right now. So, <laughs> Don't hate on this. This is... i being spiritual. <laughs> so yeah 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 so uh but yeah it's just kind of a primordial urge of man right we want to express this through song and we want to be open about this and it's something we can all relate to the longer you live the more you can relate to this but we all have something that has caused us grief we've all had times in our lives where we feel like why me why is this happening why do bad things happen it's one of the oldest questions of man The whole reason the book of Job is in the Bible is because there's a situation where there's this great godly man and literally everything bad that you can think of happens to him. And the vast majority of the book is him and his friends sitting around trying to figure out why. Why has this happened? So I thought I'd do a little bit more teaching than preaching this morning but talk a little bit about why there is suffering. Because I think, again, this is something that we struggle with. This is something that we wonder, right? There's a a book that was written a few years ago by Thomas Warren. And it was called, Have Atheists Prove There Is No God. And it's it's a pretty good book. One of the things he says in the book, though, is he says, one of the strongest arguments that atheists make is the existence of suffering. Why do bad things happen to good people if there is an all-powerful God and he's just? And that's the question of the book of Job, too. And that's the question that the psalmist is and the different psalm writers are struggling with a lot as we go through Psalms. And so this is by no means a comprehensive list, but this is some of the reasons why their suffering exists. First of all, (laughs) other people. I know when I ask you, your first response is, well, you know, because of sin, because of this. You want to give, be real spiritual, right? But, uh, which is all true. But let's be real. Some of you, the first thing you thought of, why suffering exists, you're like, my boss. <laughs> my accounting professor. <laughs> uh, one of my former students said something. So, uh, Suffering exists, part of the reason suffering exists is because there's other people. God has given us free will. And that is great. God's given us free will because he wants us to choose to follow him. He wants us to fall in love with him and have a great relationship with him. But guess what? All those people sitting around you have free will too. And the people you work with and go to school with and you drive down the freeway next to... And not all of them are using their free will to choose to be more like Jesus. So bad things happen. Psalm 35 is an example of this. I'm not going to read all these. I'm just going to give you some references. Psalm 35 references the enemies that are attacking the psalmist. They're attacking David. Other people's sin, other people's neglect, other people's mistakes cause suffering. Our sin. There are consequences to our sin. Our sin. If you're going to blow up and have a fit of rage at work, there could be some very serious consequences to that. You might have to find a new job. You do that in your relationship with your spouse, with your children. There can be long-term consequences to that. You do that enough time with your kids, have a fit of rage, lose your temper with your kids, aren't self-controlled. When your kids grow up, they may not want to spend quite as much time with you as you would like. And you can end up lonely because of your sin. There are consequences to our sin. Our sin causes suffering. Our bodies. Yeah, it's a sad truth. If you're over 35, you probably have begun to feel this. Our bodies can cause suffering. They slowly fall apart. That's just the reality. So I like to go to the gym. I like to exercise, and, and, and I mostly lift weights. Uh, it would be cool to play basketball, but like I mentioned, I'm not very coordinated, and so dribbling and walking at the same time doesn't work well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Let alone dribbling and running. I mean, I can dribble, but if I take my eyes off the ball, I'm going to lose it. So, so I try. So I like to go to the gym and lift weights, and it's you know my I used to like want to try to get big, but that never worked. Uh, So then I was like, I'm going to try to get strong for my size, and now it's like, I'm just going to try not to get hurt. That's like my (laughs) primary goal. I get done with my workout on Friday, and I'm like, oh, I got through the week without my my wrist, my elbow, my knee, my back. It was a good week. (laughs) I was like, regardless of what I lifted, I feel good about it. Their bodies are slowly deteriorating, right? And it causes suffering. Psalm 6, the psalm writer cries out because of Physical sickness and illness. Satan. Satan causes suffering. This is what happens in the book of Job, right? right. Satan comes before God. God says, look, have you seen Job? This guy's awesome. This guy loves me. I love this guy. He's great. Satan says, of course he loves you. You've given him all these wonderful things. Let me take them all away and he'll curse you and turn his back on you. And God says, okay, testing." And Satan goes after Job, and he goes after him hard. And Satan tries to pull his focus away from God onto all of his problems. Satan causes suffering. Ultimately, though, the biggest struggle in trying to understand suffering is that God allows it to happen. Other people can hurt you and cause you to suffer, but realistically, God can stop them. Our sin. There are consequences for our sin, but God can intervene. God can keep our bodies from falling apart. Satan can't do anything that God doesn't want him to do. God allows us to suffer. That is the reality. God allows it. I'll read a couple of passages here. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, I'm going to go through these uh, kind of quickly, but you can just note these down. See now that I am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver out of my hand. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 6. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. Isaiah 45, 7. I form the light and create the darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Of course, in Genesis 50 and verse 20, when Joseph has been sold into slavery and ended up in Egypt and his brothers come back, Joseph says, you intended this for evil, but... God intended it for good. Joseph says, look, you may have sold me into slavery, but God, this was part of God's plan the whole time. It was part of God's plan that I become a slave and suffer so that later on you could be saved. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. Paul is talking about the thorn in his side. And he says it's a way that God tried to keep him humble. And from struggling with pride. But it says the thorn comes from... He's asked God, remove the thorn from my side. He says three times, he's begged God, nothing's changed. The reality is, is that God allows us to suffer. And sometimes we have a hard time with that because we don't understand. It is not an easy thing to always accept. Now, there are benefits to suffering... I went through and put some of these up here too. There are benefits to suffering. First, James tells us the suffering develops moral character. I uh, hired one of the undergrads to be a, a grader in my MBA class in the fall. And he's going to be a master's student. And I was talking to one of the other professors that had him as an undergrad. And he was talking about him. And he was like, yeah, you know, he's a great guy. Good guy. Everybody likes him. Really smart. The only negative I will say is that he's so smart, he's never really had to struggle. And so his work ethic is not what it could be. I was like, well, first of all, it's quite a statement to say I think that a Rice undergrad has never had to work so hard. Because I would have. <laughs> I was like, this just be real. But uh, really, struggle develops character. Yeah. Suffering can draw other people to God. How you handle it when you're going through a hard time can be a light that attracts other people to God. Oh, I'm sorry, that was the next one, really. Uh, Psalm 119 and verse 71, suffering can draw us to God. It says, it was good for me to be afflicted because that's what led for me to search for God. This is how I feel. I had a little bit of a rough childhood. And so for me, that was good in retrospect. Because I look back on it, and I think that, you know, at the point of time when somebody invited me to church to start studying the Bible, I was angry, I was lonely, I was miserable. A lot of these things that I had grown up and come out of my my growing up, and I knew I was not happy. So I was like, sure, I'll try that. I've tried lots of other things. It led me to seek God. Of course, the way we handle it can draw other people to God, it helps us develop compassion for others. And I think this is one thing that as I've gotten older, as I've aged and gone through more things, I have a lot more compassion for other people now. Somebody starts telling me about all their weird health issues, and I'm like, yeah, I I know exactly where you're coming from. I understand that, right? Uh, It helps us develop compassion, enables us to better help others. It makes us more grateful for God's blessings it really does you go through a hard time and then you get to a point where things are going well and you're so grateful you're like man this is awesome i was like i'm so happy for this i know it's not going to last forever and i'm not going to be paranoid about it going away but man i'm going to enjoy this while it's here both in this life and eternally i mean honestly part of suffering is to make us long for heaven Have you ever been going through loss or grief or something and you just felt like, or just being so overwhelmed and frustrated and you just felt like, okay, take me now? <laughs> you know? It's like, I am really ready to go be with Jesus. That is supposed to happen once in a while. We're supposed to feel like that sometimes. This world is not what we're living for, this is not the end. This world is supposed to prepare us for something better. Suffering does that. It helps us better understand God's love for us. Because the reality is, God suffered for me. God watching His Son go to the cross was not a fun, happy, comfortable experience for Him. He went through that for me. For you. Suffering helps us better understand God's love for us. And then, another thing I listed up here, it forces or allows you to live a life of self-denial. When you think about somebody with a chronic illness who shows up at church and is committed and serving. They have the utmost respect for such people. And I'm not saying you don't ask God to take the suffering away. The Bible doesn't say that. Feel free to ask God to take the suffering away. Paul did. All right? I'm nowhere close to ever going to be as spiritual as Paul. Right? Paul asked for that. That's fine. But sometimes God allows us to suffer. And so, one thing that I get frustrated about sometimes is that you hear the prosperity gospel. You become a Christian, and your life's going to be perfect. No struggles, no debt, no sickness, no nothing. And I struggle with it because it's inconsistent with the Bible. Right, right, right. Now, it comes out of two areas, I think. I think one that doesn't understand. It shows a lack of understanding of suffering and the benefits of suffering right. and secondly the, a fuzzy understanding of the old versus new testament right the old testament what was the old testament the old testament was god telling the israelite people you be my people you be committed to me you don't worship other gods you love and follow me in return i'm going to give you this land i'm going to make this land rich i'm going to take care of your health I'm going to protect this land, all these great things about this land, right? That was the Old Testament, very tied to the land. The New Testament is not. The New Testament is through Christ and, and His love for us. So, the Bible says that we will suffer as Christians. Now, it's, I know I'm bringing the happy right now, but uh, it's not that we're going to walk around like this all of our lives, right? But we are God's children. And because he loves us, things are going to happen. Because he wants us to grow. And if you're a parent, you understand this. You understand, you know, I never, have never enjoyed disciplining my children. But it's necessary. Because I love them, and I want them to grow up to be women who are going to have an impact for God. And so it's necessary sometimes. When uh, when I was a PhD student in my third year of my PhD, I started getting really sick. Uh, my health went downhill very quickly, and I was trying to graduate. I was in grad school for a really long time. I have two masters and a PhD, and the school where I get a, where I got my PhD doesn't give a masters to the PhD students, but a lot of other schools do. So if I'd gone to another school, I would have three masters and a PhD. Uh, And I'm just saying that to say, I was in grad school a really long time, okay? And so that's the source of much suffering for my wife. Uh, But I started getting really sick in my third year. I was going to try to get out in my fourth. And uh, I started having some minor organ failure. Uh, It turns out I have uh, uh, this weird neurological issues. Um, that the doctors could not diagnose, but I ended up getting really sick. I ended up having one surgery during my fourth year. And our our job market, when we go and we get jobs, is this certain period of time, once a year, within two months. I had just gotten out of the hospital and caught pneumonia. I missed it. And so I was coming back, sitting on the couch, uh, thinking, okay, another year of grad school. And the doctors hadn't figured out what was wrong. Now, eventually they did, but it was like years later. Ended up with a couple of surgeries, uh, six scars on my, my abdomen and everything. Uh, unfortunately, they're not very big. They're small scars. I mean, I would like it, honestly, if they were bigger, because you know, <laughs> looks like you got a knife fight or something. It would be cool. <laughs> but uh, nothing, that, nothing that cool looking. Uh, an additional year of grad school, wife and two kids, and lots and lots of health problems for years. And I would like to stand up here and say, you know what? All these great things came out of it. Like, I totally see what God was doing in retrospect. The reality is, I still don't know <laughs> why. I can give you all these reasons, right? And I'm sure there are many more. Benefits of suffering. And I definitely have more compassion for people who are sick now. Yeah. But I, a lot of times, we're just not going to figure out why we're suffering. Yeah. And that makes it hard, too. At the end of the book of Job, do you know how the book of Job ends? God shows up. They spend all this time talking about why Job's suffering. God shows up and he asks Job, where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I taught the mountain goats how to give birth and find food and all this kind of stuff, right? Where were you? Who are you? And Job's like, uh... And so basically what God does is God shows up and says, I'm God, you're not... Job praises God, God blesses Job again, and the book ends. Job is never told why he suffered. We get to see it because we read the Bible and we see that Satan showed up and asked the tempting. Job's never told that. Suffering ends, but he never figures out why. We're never, sometimes you're just not going to figure out why. Now, What do we do when bad things happen? How do we respond to suffering? Well, sometimes we get angry. This is my response. Right? This is kind of how I I, I grew up. I get angry. I've got Psalm 73 uh, bookmarked on my computer at work. Because sometimes bad things happen, and people who are dishonest, things go great for them, and they don't go great for me. And so I'll pop up Psalm 73 and read it at work, because I need to calm down because I get angry. That's not ideally what we're going for in the end, right? Uh, sometimes we get prideful. Why me? I don't deserve this. Sometimes we get afraid. What's going to happen to me and my family? I a wife and two kids i got to take care of. What if the doctors can't figure out what's wrong? Impatience. God, just make it stop. Sometimes we just try to escape. Do things to take our minds off of it, right? Binge watch. Whatever you watch on TV. Impurity, medicating it. These are all unhealthy ways of dealing with it. You don't want to respond with sin. What we want to do is we want to we want to do what they did in the Psalms. We want to be able to work through it. And get to a point where there's faith. Now, I say that knowing this is not easy. Right. right? When somebody's suffering, don't, please, please, don't just go up to them and say, hey, God's in control. Right. That, that does not help, okay? They know that. Right? Somebody's a Christian, they're suffering, they know God's in control. They know they need to get to a point where they're surrendered. Saying that is not help. Because the more you're suffering, the harder it is to get there. Period. Right? But let's look at what happens in some of these psalms. Let's look at Psalm 13. I want to read through a couple of these. And see kind of what changes and how this evolves. The attitude over this prayer. Psalm 13 verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O oh Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Flip over to Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about in mourning, oppressed by the enemy, Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you on the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. And then one more here, Psalm 60. You have rejected us. It's a communal psalm. O God, and burst forth upon us. You have been angry. Now restore us. You have shaken the land and tore it open. Mend its fractures, for it is quaking. You have shown your people desperate times, You have given us wine that makes us stagger. But for those who fear you, you have raised a banner. You have unfurled against the bow. Save us and help us with your right hand that those you love may be delivered. And if you skip on down to verse 9, Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, you who have rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? Give us aid against the enemy, for the help of man is worthless. With God, we will gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. The One thing I like about all three of these psalms is that you see this pattern. You see this pattern. The psalmist starts out describing the trouble, crying out to God for help, bringing his petition before God, and then at the end of the psalm expressing faith and trusting God he's working through his pain and he knows in the end that God is with him he knows in the end that regardless of what happens he has confidence and faith that God is with him and again I know this isn't easy to do and it takes time and it takes work to work through this and get to a point of faith. And one of my favorite psalms, one of my favorite passages is this, uh, this scripture here in Psalm 62. This is one thing that really helps me. Psalm 62, verses 11 and 12 says, one thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O God, are loving." Surely, you will reward each person according to what he has done. I think a complete faith in God is faith not only in God's power, but in His love. And to be perfectly honest with you, this is where I struggle more with my faith. I believe that the Bible says that God created the world out of nothing. I believe that God parted the Red Sea before Moses. I believe that God raised people from the dead. I have yet to face something that compares to that. So I have complete confidence that God can overcome whatever situation I'm in. Where I tend to struggle with my faith is the second part. That God cares enough about me and my problems to intervene. I mean, I sit back and I think, yeah, there's a, I mean, you know, I have problems, but there are so many people with so many worse problems. I am grateful they figured out what was wrong with me neurologically. There are people who have way worse health issues that nobody ever figures out what's going on. There are people who have loss that I can't even relate to. There are wars being fought at any given time. God is busy. And so sometimes I struggle with that. And I have to remember what David said God is loving, God cares about your suffering. This is clear over and over and over again in the Bible. Yeah. God looks at you like his son, like his daughter, and he cares. No parent watches their kids suffer and, and just, yeah, okay. Right. Definitely no halfway not terrible parent, right. right? I mean, I was watching Natalie last night and her demonstration and all for her, for her black belt. And she got to one part, and I knew it was going to be really hard. And I wasn't breathing. I was like, "Then <gasps> I was like, okay. Breathe, breathe, breathe. It's going to be okay." <laughs> there was no suffering involved at all, and I was so concerned with how she was going to do, which she did great. God loves us even more than I love my kids. God cares about your suffering. You may not figure out why you're suffering. You may not understand, but God has some kind of purpose behind it. God cares about you. The goal. And again, I know it's hard. The goal in suffering is not understanding. As Christians, the goal is faith. That's what we're working toward when we suffer. That's the goal for us as disciples of Jesus. I'm going to skip this for the sake of time. So, suffering is unavoidable. You know, I love Mother's Day. Mother's Day is fun. I'm going to go see Captain America. Don't tell me what happens. I will struggle with my sinful nature. Don't tell, it's going to be awesome. So I'm really looking forward to that. But there's a lot of people today who have pain. I encourage you. You know somebody like that, call them, encourage them, tell them you love them. Right? But there's going to be suffering in your life. It's unavoidable. You may never know why you're suffering, but two things you've got to remember. God is strong, and He really, really, really loves you. He suffered so that you could become a Christian he loves you we have to try to move from our our desperation to security and trusting God Psalm 126 verse 6 it says he who goes out weeping carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with him suffering has a purpose there's something being produced in you when you suffer and whether or not you can figure it out God has, and he loves you, and he has a plan for you. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 5. The last verse here to close us out. Hebrews 5 and verse 7. During the days of Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard Because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This passage tells us that Jesus had to suffer basically to become like Jesus. It's not an easy concept to wrap your mind around. Jesus suffered. When you suffer, your king can relate to you. He knows what you have gone through because he went through this so that you could be with him. Jesus suffered so that we could be sons and daughters of God. And as we pray and take communion this morning, that's what I want you to think about. I know all of us have had suffering in our lives. God suffered for you. You're that important to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for our chance to be together this morning. Truly, it is an honor to come before you and open the scriptures, to be able to study the Bible and see your heart for us. We don't always understand you. We don't always understand what you are doing in our lives. And sometimes things hurt. But God, we know that you are strong and we know that you love us. We know that you care for us and you have shown that through Jesus going to the cross and dying, becoming a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be with you. God, thank you so much for your love for us and that we can be Christians. Please be with those who are hurting today, for those who are feeling desperation, for those who are mourning. Comfort them. Help us to be a comfort to them, God. And help us to be grateful for your love for us. I thank you for this chance to take communion, for the bread that represents the body of our Lord, and for the the fruit of the vine that represents his blood that was shed, so that we can be cleansed. And so that we know that some point, at the end of our lives, when all of this is over, there will be no more suffering. But that we will be with you, and we will be with Jesus in heaven after the judgment. Thank you for today. We pray this in our Lord's name. Amen.